chronic crafters, like this idea of being more of like a little like conductor who's just kind of like putting these energies that are coming out naturally together in a certain way. Like my role is more to, I mean, of course I'm playing everything, but it, the playing of it comes really naturally out of me. And so then I feel like my conscious role is more to like put it together. Like how do I orchestrate these different sounds that can come out right now? Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the EarFuel podcast. As always, I'm Joel Freemark, and you can follow me on Twitter at, at GetEarFuel and at The Daily Guru. The podcast is always available on the iTunes and Google Play stores under EarFuel and at GetEarFuel.com. What you heard at the top was the man behind the name Prana Crafter. That is the performance name he uses. We discussed his stunning new record, as well as what he likes to call Mystic Psychedelic. It was a very cool conversation, and we'll get to all of that right after a quick album review. The record I want to look at today is called No Fool Like an Old Fool, and it's by Caroline Says. If that name sounds familiar to you, yes, it is taken from the Lou Reed song of the same name. And for my fellow music and Velvet Underground geeks out there, we technically know that Caroline Says 1 and 2 were kind of a follow-up to the Velvet Underground track, Stephanie Says. But we're talking about what Caroline Says, not what Stephanie Says. And this is her second album, and it is a damn good one. If you're not familiar with Caroline Says, it is time to get on board. Trust me. It's a one-woman project, and with this record, it feels like one long, gorgeous Beach Boys harmony. That is to say, just take any harmony the Beach Boys ever did, stretch it out, make it a bit more psychedelic, make it a bit more mellow. Oh, it is wonderful to live in that headspace. These vocals are completely enchanting and entrancing, and they just totally surround you. And I guess, you know what, more accurately, these songs feel like a long sunset on the beach in musical form. Like, you know that feeling just sitting and you're just like so relaxed and the universe is quiet, but it's just serene and beautiful all around you. That is what this album is all about. I cannot say enough about the vibe and the mood here. It's, oh man, you instantly get hooked on it. Like literally the first second I heard this record, I just said, yes, this is a musical headspace I want to spend a lot of time in. It's got just the right amount of airiness and openness. The reverb is exactly where it needs to be. So many wonderful things working at balance here. This record captures you from the get-go. The opening track is this dreamy, light song, and you're just instantly drawn into this universe that flows perfectly from song to song. There's elements of soul and funk and electronic and dream pop, and even when the tempo gets a bit faster, the mood is never spoiled, and that is one of the things that's best about this record. At the same time, this album is very subtle. It's a bit unexpected. It's somewhat subdued. It's, I don't know, it's it, it's like it's trying to go unnoticed with how much it's pulling you in. It's very sly and sneaky in that way, and it's a really cool thing to experience. The orchestrations here take your mind in wonderful directions, keeping you in this mellow, but, but, but hold on here. Don't think that this record is going to put you to sleep because it won't. It completely captivates you. It surrounds you and you're just in this serene world. I, I really love this record. The vocals are blissful. 
And this is just an album, honestly, you need to experience it firsthand to properly appreciate it. Caroline says, no fool like an old fool. Go check it out. Moving on. Bodhi Cheetah's Choice is the most recent release from Prana Crafter. And when I first heard this record, I said, this is like nothing I've ever heard before, and I like it a lot. I discussed the record at length a few episodes back, and it's one of those albums, again, kind of like the Caroline Says record. It instantly surrounds you, and it's just this beautiful musical world that's created. I think I referred to it as the sounds you'd hear if the forest, you know, the trees and the animals, had a jam session, and I stand by that description. Will, who is the man behind the name, and I connected via the magic of the internet to discuss how he creates such uniquely captivating sounds among many other topics. So sit back and let your mind sink into the world of Prana Crafter. clicked calling you back and called um i hope it didn't wake them called a band in england i interviewed a while back because <laughs> it was just it was right under it and for some reason my uh my my keyboard kind of moved on me so hopefully I didn't, like, I didn't just wake holly from the lovely uh, i was about to say like we're good middle of the night for them right now right yeah you know hopefully they don't mind so um can you hear me okay <laughs> yeah i can hear you okay is it okay okay from yep sounds good gotcha Gotcha, loud and clear, running through cool. all the magic technology here. So so your record, I, I, I need to know, and this is going to be a weird question. Um, do you live in the middle of the woods? Yeah, I mean, compared to New York City, I live in the middle of the woods. Compared okay. from where, where I live, <laughs> you know, I like, because I have, we live on like a couple acres uh-huh. that's wooded, but we're like, you know, there's then there's the neighbors on a couple acres next to us and next to them. So compared to like rural people, sure. I'm not in the middle of nowhere, but compared to like any city, yeah, like I live, we live on a couple acres of woods and then we're out in a part of Washington that's like, we're up, uh, if you're going up the peninsula, like past the capital Olympia and you're going up the peninsula up into that little uh, part, we live kind of in that region. So it's out there because that whole region is just like the interior of that peninsula is protected like forest land. So Mm -hmm. it's totally wild, like for sure up here. It just takes a, you know, a couple, if we just ride our bikes from here, you're, you're out into the woods you know, deep woods without too long, you know, too long of a ride. I am so incredibly jealous. I really, oh, it's I, nice. I miss that. I, I, I grew up with trees and rivers and, and nature and uh, pretty much on a daily basis. I look around at all the concrete around me and I'm thinking, why did I leave? What's that? happening? I mean, <laughs> so did you, did you grow up in that area? Uh, yeah, I grew up like near Portland. I, I grew up in like a small logging town that's just over the border into Washington. So the nearest town was Portland, which was like where you would go for like, if you were going to go do anything, you'd go to Portland, which was like about 40 <laughs> minutes away. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like a logging, just a little logging town that was like it boomed in like the, I don't know when, like the 20s or 30s with logging. And then, you know, so like everyone that was there that lives there, like their great, their grandpa came because of the mill usually sure. was why they were. So both my, my grandpas on both sides, one of them was a chemist came to work as a chemist at the mill. The other one was like a, you know, mill work and logging guy. <laughs> so <laughs> definitely it's all about the logging in in those places so yeah so so then what was your first exposure to music so my dad was a bluegrass musician and his dad was like uh you know so he, my my grandpa was I, don't, I guess and his dad probably too but my grandpa was like you know the old so he grew up my dad where my dad grew up was out like 
out way out way 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 out in the country like mm-hmm. barefoot and just running around out in the country <laughs> style yeah so his his dad my grandpa was just you know a logger old kind of like mill working logger guy playing picking bluegrass nice. taught my dad how to play nice and then my dad was in a, a bluegrass band in washington in like the 70s and they released an lp album and they were like doing okay for like the bluegrass circuit of the 70s sure and then there was like tragedy one of the uh i don't know the exact story but one of the members like killed his wife or something and then committed suicide and it just it was over and like yeah it was over the band was done it was everyone was it was done so yeah so i i learned you know music was just i was around it i guess when i was i have a lot of pictures i've seen of me like at his you know bluegrass shows as like a two-year-old and stuff nice yeah, yes. so I was, a, and he had like 5,000 5, was his biggest record, his biggest record collection. At one point, it was like 5,000 wow. records. Yeah. And that, then that, that's time, a lot of good tunes to pick from. Oh, yeah, exactly. So by the time I was like old enough to care, when I was like, you know, like 12 years old or something, he didn't have that many anymore, but he had a lot of records. And so, yeah, like you said, it was just, and it was, he had good, you know, kind of eclectic taste. He had a lot of old blues stuff tons of old country stuff and then he loved you know classic rock so he was really into like uh quicksilver and yeah he loves that he didn't like the grateful dead which was always a thing with him and i because i okay. do but he loved like you know like zeppelin and he loved the doors and you know i just remember just i'd sit up there and just go through records and i mean like listening to the cars i remember the first time i heard the cars <laughs> like the the muted picking of the sure. notes i'm like what is what is that yeah <laughs> you know? yeah so when did you start playing yourself um, about 12 or 13, my dad started teaching me, you know, I was really into Nirvana cause I grew up, you know, of course. In, the, yeah, in the eighties and the nineties yeah. in <laughs> Washington. So he would teach me that I'd, I'd say, I want to learn this one. And of course, to somebody who knows how to play music, he'd go, that song is three chords. <laughs> yeah, right. right. <laughs> I'd go, I want to take know four it. seconds. Exactly. So he'd, so, and I got really into punk later. I, I'd bring him like, I'd be like, I want to learn how to play, you know, I'd put like some bad religion on and he'd yeah. be like, uh, okay. Uh, I think he'd, he'd help me. He'd be like, I think that's a G. And sure. A, sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a sloppy G, but I think that's exactly. the spirit of it. Yeah. Yep. So, so somehow you make it from punk rock, uh, with bluegrass roots into what you're doing now it's it's you know coming from kind of the same thing in that you know i grew up in punk and hardcore it kind of you know was the community i needed when i had nobody else so you know mm-hmm. uh joe strummers is kind of my surrogate father um yeah. <laughs> so so where did the transition start into kind of the more experimental where do you get to i mean where do you get to the grateful dead yeah that's a good question um so i played i'm trying so i think before i got into punk you know i was really into like i was saying like the kind of that alternative kind of stuff and i think somehow because there was a connection with that back to like stuff like you know kind of mainstream classic rock stuff like zeppelin or sabbath and stuff sure so i think there was that little bit of connection and my dad being into so my even though he wasn't into the grateful dead he was he was a very like he was a psychedelic like hillbilly type of guy like he was a you know a country boy but that got major into the psychedelic scene so he was into the weird like he was into some of the the so i think there was a little bit of that going and then Somewhere in my teens, I definitely started listening to, you know, 1990s teenager and, you know, listening to, you know, going to the Pink Floyd, you know, laser light shows and (laughs) like, so I think it was probably that. I think it was probably had to do with kind of just that age and getting kind of like I was a really like, you know, one of those teenagers that's always like 
thinking too many, too many ex, um, existential things, you know, yeah, like, yeah. so, so I think you, you kind of, I, I was just looking for something a little bit more like contemplative or something. And so I was drawn to that stuff. And then, yeah, I guess it just, I guess it kind of probably had a lot to do with just the culture too, of that I was kind of into at that time, got a little bit more into a psychedelic kind of culture and less about the skateboarding and punk rock that I'd been into. Yeah, I mean, because you can feel a lot of that meditative. I, I, when I listen to the record, there's a lot of a a meditative feel through a lot of those songs. Um, is that something that you're conscious of creating when you're in the creative process? Um, yeah, absolutely. I think I think what it is in a way for me, it's like um, almost like mood setting, but like for myself. So if I'm going to like be putting some type of lead work onto something, like for me personally, there's a huge difference between what I get in the moment, like doing improv, what I get out of it based on what's already there. So if I like put something together, that's just kind of skeleton, it's not really very deep for me. And I try to, I put, I can play something over it, but I've found that it's very different than if I get something that really like something really drony that actually gets me into a little bit of a different space. And then I can like, and it probably, you know, if I was playing with, I'm doing most of this myself, if I was playing with a band, it would be different. I'm sure I'd be getting some of that off of their energy. Sure. So I think some of it might have to do with that, almost like setting the mood for myself to get the most that I can out of it. And then I think that that helps in the final product because then I put that much extra time. I put a lot of time into like the, the those back, those things you're talking about, like the droney. They're not just like, you know, hitting a keyboard synth button and just sitting there for a while. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like I put a lot of like blend a lot of different things and put a, I always, you know, usually sneaking like some type of field sound or something else under like what you're probably like hearing mostly so so where does the, where does then the whole creative process begin for you because there are so many different elements um yeah for me it's i definitely it's definitely not like a, a really like pre-planned thing you know i don't like I'm, i want to like achieve this with this or sure. something like that which would be cool but for me it's it's really i have to kind of go off of be inspired by like something so usually it comes out of of improving you know i'll just be improving something and you know something catches the ear and i go oh that's and then you know the things just start to like naturally almost like organize themselves more than having to like go i like that and that can connect to this it's more like the ear catches something and it's like if tension goes to that thing and then from that something builds and you just i'm assuming it's kind of like how painters probably i I can't paint but i'm guessing like as you're painting you kind of you know you step back and look at it and go oh let's look at this so i think it's kind of the same thing you kind of are playing and you're something you get it going get a loop or something going and then you step back for a second and so yeah definitely kind of like happy accident type of thing to start it just color a little bit here a little bit of red here a little bit of blue there i think so and then say like what am i seeing versus saying i'm gonna paint this cat yeah it's more like (laughs) yeah like you're saying paint a little here and oh what was that a cat no that's a it's a snake or whatever yeah so yeah and so do do the pieces then eventually fit together or, you know, I mean, it seems to me listening to some of it, it's almost classical in a sense that there seem to be movements. Um, Mm -hmm. Is, is it like, okay, I've got this piece works with this one and then I've got this other thing over here. How how does that flow work in your mind? Yeah, that's a good question. So I, yeah, I definitely, I think of it myself kind of in the way you are describing it too, is kind of like these movements of like in one, track usually there's at least two like very distinct different kind of movements and i um i think that it's it's like once again kind of like an instinct type of thing for me where it's there's i just know and i'm guessing it probably is similar with you know other types of art for people like 
I just know at a certain point, like this is where this should be. Like this doesn't need to go anymore in this direction. And like, you know, and so there's just kind of like an instinct, but it's not a lot of like linear, like narrative thinking that I have going, I think, but part of that's probably just because I've been doing it and I'm in my mid thirties and I've been multi-track like recording since I was probably 15. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it probably has to do, but if I had to like, think of how it kind of works. I bet you it's, it's, yeah, it's like, I see it kind of as like, like a movement and like, okay, this, this, it's done what it's going to do. And now it needs to move into some other, some other energy or something. And a lot of, I do a lot of time mixing once I get everything, the elements I think I want there. I spend a lot of time mixing it to get all the fades and different things. Right. So it's kind of flows. Yeah. Yeah. You, you mentioned that you, uh, you add in a lot of field recordings Are those ones you do on your own. Um, yeah, exactly. Like I definitely like all, I, I just think that you remember like, it's like a, a joke in the old, uh, in that like classic Grateful Dead, the Grateful Dead movie when they're talking about all those problems they would have in the studio. Yeah. Do you remember that? And yeah. he's like, he was like, they, they were, they finally like with the final straw when they like were like de- demanding, I think it was weird was like, we need to go and record some heavy air. Yeah, <laughs> But it's like, and it seems like so funny that like, I, at, at one point I'm like, you know, I, there's, a, there's actually like a lot of wisdom to that because there's a big difference between like, you know, direct recording something straight into like a mixer versus letting something ring out in the actual physical like room that you're in. Yeah. And, and so I think that even like sometimes having like, even if it's below everything, I'm sure like some audio engineers would be like, say like, oh, it's, it's insane. Like, no, you want it as crisp as possible. But for me, I like there to be like some air under something you know some wind going or some water going or a lot of singing bowls i like i love singing bowls so mm-hmm. you probably i don't know if you would identify them as that but a lot of po- spots in that album you'll there's definitely either singing bowl by itself or i love to like blend it with a like a, a synthesizer like organ sound like get those two like perfectly together mm-hmm. yeah so, it's, yeah, a, it's bo- a really cool harmonic that creates absolutely it's a really spooky kind of the first time i heard a singing bowl like had this teacher like in college that like gonged one and i was like that's just such like a a a trans like kind of transcendent crazy sound that it can it can get going yeah yeah it's very very unique and a lot of people are like what the hell is that it's in you know exactly yeah yeah it's it's super cool um so uh with with all of these things coming together the toughest question what do you call what you create yeah that's a good i i always kind of thought of it as well, that's, that's a good question because for me, it's like I think of it as like almost like a, a mist, like a musical, like mysticism type of. Because for me, it's more about this particular energetic kind of space process that it comes out of more than like I'm, you know, I want it to sound like these bands that I really like or sure. whatever. So I, I would used to always try to call it mystic psych because I'm like people are going to identify this as psychedelic music because to me, it's always seems psychedelic. Uh-huh. And for me, like that definition of psychedelic, just more meaning that it that it's not completely like exactly what you're going to expect to you know happen. It's not going to be completely predictable, although there's some stuff that is, yeah. you know, predictable in any music. But so I've always thought like mystic psych or like kind of like, you know, the thing I relate most to is, is the idea of space music, but like a, like almost like inner inner and outer space, you know, type of music. Yeah. But yeah. That's, that's always a tough one. You know, it's such a tough one. The whole genre like thing is yeah psychedelic in general it's 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 i i know you know it's it's one of these you know it when you hear it but the mm-hmm. definition is impossible 
impossible you know yeah. it, it, it's become kind of this catch-all and and i like that though mystic psych i i, I yeah like mystic psych and i think that's like the, the closest i could could get to it and i i heard at some point it was like a really recently i saw some interview with um one of the drummers from the dead i don't remember which one it was but they uh-huh. were talking about how they i think it was it was bill and he said that like he thought of their music in their prime as like trance music more than as like jam rock or whatever people were calling it he was like for us it was a like a group trance type of music that we were in this group and so for me it's almost that kind of thing it's like that's much more important to me for what i play and for what i hear like what i like and don't like a lot of times for me it has something you know it's always that that thing you can't put your finger on it's like no no the energy you know the energy is not like quite right in this other thing but in this one it is you know for me and i'm sure it's personal for every person, so what it's they resonate like, with. It's almost like the songs are a bit of a byproduct of of you kind of on this this journey, if you will, to find that moment. I think so, and like to so. There's this one. Um, I can't remember his first name, but his last name is Barrett, and he's like this. I don't exactly even know what his exact specialty is or anything, but he wrote this paper that I saw recently. It was really cool. It was about improvisational music as kind of like a self organizing kind of system where it's not like directed in a certain way it kind of comes together itself so i think it's uh-huh. more of like yes yeah, like the music for me is this being like that's why i even call it prana crafters like this idea of being more of like a little like conductor who's just kind of like putting these energies that are coming out naturally together in a certain way like my role is more to i mean of course i'm playing everything but it, the playing of it comes really naturally out of me and so then i feel like my conscious role is more to like put it together like how do i orchestrate these different sounds that can come out right now and just just kind of say okay he, here it is this this is the moment that i've created from from exactly my energy. yeah you exactly know, and, I, and i really like the what you were saying earlier about kind of having that purposeful air or stream or something like that i think it adds so much to the atmosphere and really kind of almost firmly roots it no pun intended uh, but in, <laughs> in in kind of that earthy feel like i like i said um in my initial review i I feel like this album, if the forest had a jam session, mm-hmm. this is the music that would come yeah, out of it. That. And, I, and, I, and yeah. I really, really dig it. Um, and at the same time, uh, Pandimensional Drifter. Mm-hmm. Really love it. It it almost felt at points like Funkadelic's Maggot Brain. Like it, it, it started to get a little <laughs> dark in really, really cool ways. Um, is it, Was that a separate piece or did that again just kind of come around the same way? Um, I'm trying to, so that one definitely, it came, I mean, it, it went in like kind of the chronological order that you hear it and it's definitely how it was like created. It was created first with that first section, which was mainly, there's definitely a little bit of synthesizer in there, but a lot of it is just guitar kind of in a weird, like doing weird kind of stuff. And then like the, there's like some wind I know and stuff going in there. And then I can't remember that it's interesting that part, like, cause in that song, it kind of just crashes like right from that soft stuff, like yeah. right into like. And I don't exactly remember, like, exactly how, like, because that's really abrupt. It's just all of a sudden it's like, and I think in some way, like, it was a, like, I knew that it was it was time to, like, for something to, to bash through there. But I don't know exactly how, you know, how intentional, like, how that fade and everything kind of came together. But then, yeah, you know, it really was, I think, as much as it seems like, as those sections are kind of distinct, I think it was kind of just a flowing kind of like composition the way that it came together it was i mean i'm not sure if that's answering your question yeah. at all yeah so so then you kind of in a way it sounds like you see this record 
almost trackless in a way. Mm-hmm. Like like that, you know, it, it should be experienced as one piece. And, you know, so so then how did you come up with this is the end of kind of this piece? This is, you know, wh- how, how did mm-hmm. that form then? Um, That's a good question. I think with each of these ones, even though like you're I think you're definitely right that it's it's kind of trackless. And I think somebody if they didn't know and they weren't looking at any numbers, they might not necessarily even though these ones kind of do. They don't transition into each other. I think somebody could be like, well, is this that? Yeah, is this that? Is yeah, this yeah, the flow one? is there. The flow is absolutely yeah. there. So, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I think that for this one, they definitely were, you know, they, they had their own, each one, the way that it's broken up as a track, kind of, for me, it had its own, like, identity as a, that's the whole thing, even though, like, you're, like some of them, you know, went up and ebbed and flowed within themselves and could have been. I remember at one point when I was early on doing you know, music and not a lot of people were listening to it, but there's this one guy who would always listen to him and he heard one and he was like, you know, that seems like that that's two different tracks, you know, because he was noticing that kind of thing where you could split it right there. You know, you could split it right there and yeah. then just start the next one. So I don't know how that kind of, you're right, because sometimes it could just, you know, there could be like three movements going through something and you, it could be four, it could have been two. So I don't know exactly how, how I, how it was decided. They definitely, You'll know. So when my, the next one that I have coming out, um, it won't be out until at least the mid or late summer. But you'll notice on that one even more so that it's it's broken into tracks, so you can you know listen to different ones. But it's even more so than this one. It's connected, kind of where I think it'll be really hard to know if somebody is just listening to it straight through to know like where it's. And for the same reason, because the way it was recorded, like some of this, the the second track was specifically recorded off the end of the first track. It wasn't like a completely but it actually got a little tricky with the uh gets a little tricky in the technical stuff when sure, you do that sure so you have another record coming out in a few months so do you just constantly write and record is it just this this never-ending cycle yeah definitely is it's always like a, especially with like the instrumental so i also do you'll hear on this next one there's there's um some like folk they're definitely still very psychedelic acid folky but um kind of folk with vocal songs on there too. Um, and so with those ones are a little bit like more, I do a lot less of that. And those like, I take a lot longer to kind of, for me to feel like they're ready, but like for the instrumental kind of ones, they, they different, they just come like kind of when they want to, mm-hmm. you know, like when I was finishing the, the the next one, I had like some ideas of what songs would be on it and it didn't end up being, ended up being different because all of a sudden as I was going to do it, something else kind of came up and I was like, Whoa, that's a lot better than what I was, <laughs> going to be doing <laughs> yeah the your 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 spirits had another idea for exactly what the was going to be <laughs> they said haha good good try you, you you thought you knew it was going to happen you don't, you don't know <laughs> well like, that's that's for me that's definitely been i don't know you know i think other some other musicians i'm sure in the psychedelic kind of genre and definitely like in the jazz genre probably have a similar experience but for me it's definitely i've always like i'm not one of those people that has like you know, certain things just like, like mastered, like, like mathematically. And I'm like, every time I go to play, I'm just like, okay, I hope it, yeah, <laughs> I yeah. hope it works. I hope this happens. I hope Come it happens. On. Yeah. <laughs> been working for the last 20 something years. I hope it keeps coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you, do you have a recording studio at home or? Um, so I have, you know, my gear recording gear at home. I don't have like a proper recording studio. Yeah. If I did, I would probably record like <laughs> 10 times more music yeah. <laughs> if I didn't have to get everything out every right. single time and rewire everything, get the amps warmed up. Yeah. So like if I did, it, it works out for me. Um, but if I did have like a proper studio, I'd be more, more prolific, I think. But I, I record some stuff in a, a local studio that's, I live, you know, out in the, 
country, but there's this little, this is local studio. It's not too far. And the guy had at first it was in his garage and then he like, um, turned the garage, um, kind of convert, double converted it, converted this other room and has a really nice studio going there now. So I record some of the stuff there and then I, you know, add on to it and mix and all that stuff on my own too. Yeah. But especially if it's vocals, if I'm going to be doing vocals, I do it there because I'm not very good at recording vocals. Sure. You got to You got to have the right booth for it. You got to make sure the sound exactly. is right there. It's, it's important. That's exactly. awesome. Well, I really, really love the record. And, uh, um, awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Really appreciate you making time and we will all spend more time listening to uh mystic psych. I <laughs> nice. love it, man. That's awesome. Nice. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Use that. Use that tag, tag stuff with that. My thanks again to Will, a.k.a. Prana Crafter, for making time. That is P-R-A-N-A-C-R-A-F-T-E-R. Go grab Bodhi's Cheetah's Choice, and if he is coming to your town, do your ears and your mind a favor and check him out. Now, before we wrap the episode, I do, of course, have your ear fuel listening assignment. For everyone new to the podcast, each episode I assign an album to listen to in full, beginning to end without any distractions or interruptions. It stems from the idea that these days people have relegated music to a background task. You're listening to music when you're at the gym, you're sitting at your desk at work, you're driving, and it's just not fully concentrating on the music. So this assignment is about taking some time each week to consciously listen to music for the sake of the music alone. This episode, because I've been playing it a ton lately, your assignment is Dead Boy and the Elephant Men's awesome 2005 album, We Are Night Sky. Dead Boy and the Elephant Men is one of the many projects fronted by Dax Riggs, but this one is by far my favorite, and all of you Acid Bath and solo fans, I encourage you to argue that one. I stand by Dead Boy and the Elephant Men being the best Dax Riggs project. It's this grimy, steamy, kick-ass rock and roll through and through, and this is one of those albums, I mean, it's 13 years old, which is insane for me to think. It never gets old to me. It is always welcome in my ears. I love it. It's just the right amount of heavy, but the key is these songs are catchy as hell. I will say, the mood on this record is a personal favorite, and it never fails to make me crank it up every single time, really. It's one of those records that demands to be played louder and louder and louder, and you just rock out to it. There's also this underlying sense of, I don't know, evil unease running underneath most of these songs. It's just, if you're into rock and roll, you are going to love this record. If you're into kind of slightly darker tones in your music, you're going to love this record. If you love music in general, you're going to love this record. It is kind of that simple. From the wonderfully delicate No Rainbow to the fierce stomp on blood music to the dark groove of misadventures of dope or even the perfectly blended How Long the Night Was, this album is one great track after another and I dig each and every one of them. Whether it's because of the riff-laden guitar throughout, the pulsing drums, the vocals, you're quickly captivated by these songs and with so many of them, you're going to be singing along before the song is over the first time. I mean, really, Dead Boy and the Elephant Man falls somewhere between trudge and glam and punk and grunge and metal and rock and psych. And I don't know. It's really just a kick-ass rock album. I, I know I already said it, but it's so true. I had to say it again, and I'm going to say it a third time. 
We Are Night Sky is a kick-ass rock and roll record. You may not have heard of Dead Boy and the Elephant Man, and you may not have heard of Dax Riggs, but trust me when I say, once you hear this album, you're going to be turning all of your friends onto it. So go check out We Are Night Sky right now. Thank me later. So that's all for this week. As always, the podcast is available in all the podcasting apps you might use, as well as at GetEarFuel.com. And you can find me on Twitter under at GetEarFuel and at The Daily Guru. That's all for this edition of EarFuel. Share and enjoy. Enjoy.